It's really quite good to be missed. Um, and let's just begin there. What is the nicest thing about going away? What's the nicest thing about going away? And the answer is coming back. Uh, the nicest thing about going away for someone like me is 100% to come back to what you were and what you had. You always appreciate it, um, no matter how good things were away. Uh, there's something about sleeping in your own bed. There's something just very, very nice about it. And my bed, as it were, has never been where I laid my head or to a startling degree that I'm trying to fix through therapy and, and personal betterment and all that, even who I was with in body, uh, who, who I was with presently. Uh, to me, home has always been an idea. To me, home has always been a concept or a feeling. And if you have safety, if you have security, if you have belief in yourself, then you have a really, really great home. So the best part about what I'm going to tell you guys now is that I feel like I'm already at home in a way that I never felt like at the last place. I'm already just incredibly comfortable. I feel very happy. And I feel very secure. Uh, I'm, I'm sleeping a lot, but in the best possible way. Not at all like a, like a sad or mopey depression sleep. Just conking out for naps and then jumping right up and usually getting to something fairly productive as soon as... I'm out of bed. That kind of sleep that seems restorative and, and positive, just not quite on schedule yet. But besides not being on a schedule, which I'm, I'm working towards, things have been going pretty well. Uh, I ate a little bit of junk food, of course, moving in. But besides getting beer last Friday uh, and pizza, it's been pretty minimal. Uh, and uh, I talked to my patrons about this a little bit, but uh, of course, new house has some new kinks, so... I actually had to, you know, turn the flashlight on my phone and get into crawl spaces in the garage to get the um, get various utilities working 100%. I had to be very adult. I had to I had to negotiate with my landlord to get a to get a handyman back here a second time. I had to um, do all of this with the normal stresses of moving and everything on top. And I won't lie, the big bag of money helped. <laughs> the big bag of money uh, definitely came in handy. But what helped most of all with my attitude, what helped uh, moving in here more than anything was the idea no matter how it was going to feel once I got inside, because it's a leap. You don't know how it's going to feel until you're on the other side. And once I... Once I boiled it down to that binary, I'm not happy here, maybe I won't be happy there, and it'll be more expensive. That would be awful. Um, <clears throat> once, I, once I boiled it down to that binary, I then just had to ask myself a couple of, of pretty easy questions. And the easiest question of all came down to, if you're not happy there, can you still make it work? Can you still... Is your, is your home still going to be operational, since your home won't be that place? And the answer is, of course, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely going to work out. And that's before I jumped in. 
and that's before I got here, and I'm happy to say that everything is going great. Uh, Kitty's a little sick right now. She just actually went by sneezing. You probably can't hear that over the, the door closed. Uh, but uh, besides a little bit of a kitty cold the last 24 hours, she's been fantastic. We've been fantastic. I feel very good. Hopefully you can hear my voice is great. Uh, I'm already back to the gym. I'm already getting my groceries delivered. The groceries are already oatmeal for breakfast, you know, reasonable snacks, reasonable dinners. I'm pretty much back on schedule. Uh, I've already been producing stuff. That's why the podcast is back. And best of all, uh, producing stuff so far for the podcast... Uh, or, or producing audio in general has been just so much less taxing than it has been in the past. That's both places, just less taxing. So it was just way, way easier to get it, quote-unquote, in the can than it has been. It cost me less energy to do it. And that's just a relief because I want to live my life too. Don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for everything you guys have given me, everything you guys have offered, Everything to come. I am. I, I am truly grateful. But some days and some weeks are harder than others. And the idea that at this hardest, it's just never going to be as draining as it has been in the past, it's just lovely. That's just a lovely thing. It put a big smile on my face. Uh, one, one by one, we're getting rid of all the little issues. Uh, heat's, heat's going on right now because it's a live show, so there's a little bit of that distortion. But besides that... I think I sound fantastic in this studio. That means that I think I can sound fantastic pretty much anywhere in the world going forward. Uh, I really do. This is not like a, a super special studio or anything. I barely spent 100 bucks getting this operational. Uh, there's room for improvement from here in the future as the, as the project keeps on rolling out. So this is, this is not like a – I'm not on a mountain retreat in a, in, a, in a padded room or anything right now. This is – this is still pretty makeshift, but I think it works wonderfully. I love makeshift. So that's where we're at. Uh, <clears throat> I've been walking around a lot more uh, in, in addition to doing more errands and getting out. So I've been getting more vitamin E. I've taken a couple of walks around the block. Uh, it's a very pleasant day today, very pleasant weekend, so I'm going to do it again. Uh, it's just uh, – it's been a lovely move. I know so many of you have been curious. How's it going uh, I'm sure there's a question uh, if I'm putting a bright spin on this or if this is the honeymoon phase. I don't think so. Uh, and let me tell you a couple of things that I did to make sure that this wasn't honeymooning. This is kind of silly, but this is, this, is, uh, this is part of my grand philosophy of live your life day to day, hour to hour, not just on a Hallmark card, but actually do that shit, get in it to win it. And... I decided, like, I'm not going to sleep with earplugs, even though there's the occasional motorcycle or police siren, right? Like, it's not utopia or anything. It's just a much better neighborhood. It's just a quieter neighborhood. And, like, I'm not going to uh, I'm not gonna go and eat out and get all this great food or, or, or celebrate or take that time off or what have you. I haven't done an edible since I've moved in, uh, though I have everything that I've needed since the moment I moved in to make another batch, yada, yada, yada. I've decided to really just try and acclimate uh, in my day and day with diet and work schedule and what have you. And uh, there's nothing less honeymoony than that, right? I don't know how you guys roll, uh, but generally speaking, I don't know, three days after a move, four days after a move, I eat like a creature from outer space lands in a kid's movie the first act. You know what I'm talking about? Like the di like I eat like the alien comes and befriends the kids 
And then they're like, you have to hide in the pantry at the summer camp. And then like, what's that noise in there? And then like, you know, there's nothing. I swear, Officer Fufflebutt. Mm, all right. And then they open up the pantry doors. Oh, no, he ate all the chocolate. And we're supposed to have s'mores. Uh, it's like that scenario. Like when I first move into a place, that's 1000% how I eat. It's just like I Google, like I even got this tip. This was the devil. The devil sent me a tip. I believe this. The devil doesn't want me to succeed. I know this sounds a bit Kanye. Just settle down. I know I sound a little Kanye right now, but just come with me. I think, (laughs) I think the devil sent me an anonymous message. And here's what it said. It said, hey, just a tip when you're moving in to look for food. Go ahead and open up Grubhub and then select by location. Then you'll see all the places around you nearby. And I said, oh, wow, that's a really great idea. And then I did it. That is diabolical. That's evil. I've come across some shit in my time. I've seen some things. I've watched a guy take another guy's eye out. Yeah, it's a true story. No, I'm not going to tell it right now for free. Are you fucking kidding me? I watched a guy take another guy's eye out. This is evil. This is evil. Do you know how many Chinese places I know are near me? Because I do. I know exactly how many there are now. That's not, that's not okay. I'm not supposed to know the exact, like, ooh, I'm not supposed to know it's a prime number. There's a prime number of Asian locations within two miles of my house now. (sighs) When you know the exact number, you're like, I could eat at one of those different places every day for the next days. And it's tempting, too, because I just moved in. There's something about it. Like, I'm not going to try and, and, and make it bigger than it is. Sometimes I hyper- hyperbolize to, to make a point or a joke. Uh, but I'm going to say this, and it's no hyperbole at all. This is, this is one-to-one ratio. This is heartfelt. This is exactly how, how I feel, and this is a safe space. So I'm just hoping that that can come out, and we can all accept that maybe we don't all have to agree on things. But I'm just, I'm just going to put this out there, and then we'll see how the rest of you feel. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that moving into a place is harder than recovering from stage four cancer. Hear me out. Hear me out. Don't rush to conclusions. Hear me out. I'm just going to throw it out there. I have seen people recover from stage four cancers, various stage four cancers who are terminal and what have you, right? And what do they want to do after they recover from it, as they're recovering from it, as they're out there? They're climbing mountains. They're going on trips. They're going on hikes. They're starting families. No one's starting a fucking family after they move into it. No one's going on a hike after they move into a place. Have you ever seen that in your life? No, never. You get done moving into a place, this just, you just, everything is where it lays, 
Everything needs to stay there. Everything that's not essential. People will spend 27 hours searching through piles for things one item at a time just so they don't have to touch another fucking thing that they just moved again so soon. So quickly. Oh, I just carried your worthless fucking ass. You think I'm going to carry you again? I got you past the threshold. The rest of the duty is yours, you fucking box. I thought I lost a really nice saucepan that I've carried with me over oceans and what have you. Just because I refused to check the biggest box I had still. Just because I refused. I knew where it was. I was like, no, I lost it. No, no, I have to order some pre-made tea today because I lost that saucepan. Because there's just no way I won't, I'm going to open that fucking box today. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And now you know my deepest shame. Now you know something that's actually really horrible about me. Something that has actually caused a lot of trouble with me and women that I've known. Not that I make jokes comparing my light suffering to horrible terminal cancer, amazingly enough. Uh, but I do make tea in saucepans, and that that has caused some divides with me and women that I've dated, especially if they were from the UK or Europe. Uh... So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you how it happened. Uh, I I. Uh... I started making tea in a kettle on a stovetop. You'd get a kettle and you'd boil the water and the kettle would whistle and then you'd pull it off and then you'd pour it through the leaves and, and that's how I used to make tea, right? So I used to do it. Uh, people don't really have kettles in Europe. They have electric kettles. They're much better. You should definitely use them. Okay, so that's how I started making tea. But then one day I was like, oh, I should start infusing the tea with shit. And then I tried to do it with the tea kettle. And then I scalded my thumb. Trying to pull the metal lid off of my tea kettle when it was warm enough to put the shit in, right? I scalded my thumb because it was a metal tea kettle. Uh, and that's why you don't do that shit. Uh, it wasn't a serious scald or anything. I was like, oh, 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 my thumb. Uh, but I didn't want to give up on the idea. Oh, my God, it's caused such fights. Trust me, I'm getting there, pal. Um... But didn't it didn't it it wasn't a big deal. I just didn't want to do it again. So I just pulled out a saucepan the next time. And then I cut up some oranges and some lemons. And then I put the orange and lemon slices into the saucepan. As I made and steeped the tea. And it came out lovely. And I just started doing it that way. It was just very practical. I just thought, okay, well, that's how I do it. And these days how I make tea now, it's green tea. I make my green tea, I boil it. Uh, lightly simmer it, really, because the less you simmer green tea, the sweeter it comes out. So I lightly simmer my green tea, and then I throw in my fucking fresh ginger, dice up my ginger, throw in my ginger, maybe some cloves, throw in some cloves, go ahead and zest in the orange, then go ahead and cut up the orange, juice the orange, put the orange juice in there. And I make a pitcher of ice green tea every three days. It's very good for your health. I make it every three days. That's what I do these days. And literally... Every single pitcher that I make, this is every three days that I make one of these pitchers, yeah? 
every single picture that I make, I do not make alone, though I live alone in my house. No, no, I don't live alone as I make these pictures of tea. In fact, three women follow me around the entire kitchen. Three women pad foot behind me and judge and tisk every step of the way. These three women are, of course, ghosts. They are ghosts of relationship pasts. And these are women who, let's just say, were domestic goddesses. Let's be, let's be, let's be gen. Let's just say, let's just say words, words like Swiffer were never used as a verb by them. Uh, cooking, cooking would be a word that would be used to express something that they wanted to be done and not something that they had, for instance, you know? These were not, these are not the most domestic women. And as I've tried to express to many of you before, if you live 40 miles from a McDonald's, if you live 40 miles from the nearest drive through window, you get real good at cooking your own shit. And I don't know what tailors you think cowboys go to when they when they break their fucking jeans at 1.30 in the afternoon in the middle of a job. But generally speaking, they don't hop on into the town and have somebody darn it up for them. They sew it themselves. Uh, it's, it's, it's the homestead mindset. It's the you gotta care for everything you care for mindset. It's... It's you have to care for it, Stardew Valley Minecraft style, that, that mindset. And so I have some domestic skills. Uh, I wouldn't say they're profound or anything, but if something needed to be done on a ranch where I'm the only person within literally a 10-mile radius, guess who did it? So I learned how to do it as best as I could. Uh, it's just, just how it goes. And so these very urbane... Very pretty, very nice, very supportive, very funny. These are the kind of women that I like. Uh, exes. Couldn't help but weigh in on tea-making situations over and over and over again. Just can't fucking help themselves. No matter what, no matter what, and now here is the absolute fucking kicker, and it's true, and here's why I can't get over it, and here's why I'm still like, I can't date anybody, nobody should date me, stay away from me, I'm a Howard Hughes level weirdo, is the reason why I'm holding on to these ghosts who are tea-following me around, is not in any way because I think that they were right. No, no, that would be too easy for me. I don't think I could torment myself for very long with that one. No, these ghosts are around because I know that they're wrong. I hear their negative ghost voices in my head because at some point or another, some friend would come over and want something to drink. And again, these ladies were not very domesticated, and so they would be like, "Oh, do you want to go out? Do you want to go? To, do you want to? Gather, do you, I, 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 because when you're not a hostess, you don't know how to host." And in would come the boyfriend from a foreign land, 
and in his hand a thing that no one from that country had ever seen, a pitcher of pre-made iced tea. What? What? I've heard tale. I'd heard rumor. I heard rumor that Americans did this, this madness. But no, no, not in your own home. And it was always good. And it was always good. The guest would always enjoy. Oh, thank you. Because you're getting a, you're getting, you're getting a cold beverage. You're getting something unique. Everybody would make a comment, like the, like, uh, like, uh, British people were very, very polite about. Ooh, oh, oh, iced tea. Oh, iced tea. Iced. Oh, iced. Oh. This is why Brexit's taken three years. Oh, iced. Very polite. <laughs> you 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 buy the ice. You buy bags of it, you say. Bags of ice to put in the tea. Ew. All right then. Yes. <laughs> in for it now, aren't we? I. Whoa. <laughs> oh, you got yourself a live one here, didn't you? Scandinavians on the other hand much more blunt, much more direct. I don't know if this will be good, but you should pour it because I am thirsty. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody would drink the tea. Everybody would be nice about the tea. Some people would even ask for seconds of the tea. Right? I just have a pitcher of tea going because that's the cowboy goddamn way. All right? It's very, very... You can't drink coffee all day, for Christ's sakes. You can't. You can't. I get too wired. If I drank coffee all day, I would never sleep. It would be ridiculous. So you have a little tea. It's not as caffeinated as coffee. And uh, I've always just had a picture of it ready to go. And what would my exes say? What would my exes say? What would my exes say when the guest suddenly approved? When the guest suddenly approved of the fucking tea? What would my exes say? about my tea making that they had harped and just absolutely been absolute branches over the entire time of the relationship. <laughs> and I hear their ghostly fucking shrieks, their phantom wails as I make my sauces of tea. And I hope, I hope from the bowels of fucking hell that the rest of their life the rest of their empty lives are filled with that lie. That lie. May it echo in their throats as it does my ears from here into eternity. The lie. <sighs> Can't stand it, man. This is why I don't think I can be in a relationship. Do you hear how innocent that is? Do you hear how sweet and innocent that is? The, the teasing and the bragging upon, and yet I'm still like, INFIDELITY! It's just who I, it's just how, I just don't understand, I just don't get it. And now here's all I know, you can't call him on it. Definitely not in the moment. <laughs> you can't be like, you, you say my tea sucks all the time, and you hate my tea, you tell me that I'm a tea dork, and you... So after you, that's after you say, listen up, five, a ten is talking. Maybe it's me. 
Maybe it's the women I've chose. These are actually like legitimately like the nicest women. I just have to be the hero of my story, and my story is tea. All right, guys, that is tea time, the scripted portion of tonight's show. I hope you did enjoy it. Uh, I did go ahead and want to get you all caught up on moving in, on getting everything situated, on me getting stabilized. I'm feeling really, really good. I'm feeling really uh, quite capable. If you're a patron, you know uh, I've already got that. uh, Thank you for... Uh, the month up already, and I'm feeling just incredibly strong about the production schedule and everything else going forward. Don't have to believe me. The proof will be in the pudding. But if you think I sound good, I've only been here a week. I've already adjusted. We're already back to work. Uh, The groceries are are good, well, and healthy. Uh, I feel strong. I feel capable. Once Kitty stops sneezing uh, and is back to my little snuggle source, my little snuggle, I think she just sneezed on command there, uh, my little Snugglesaurus, uh, then I think everything is going to be just steamrolling right along. I am so looking forward uh, to winter and celebrating all the rest. Give me just a little bit over a week, and then I'm going to go and get my tree, and then uh, I'll take pictures and all the rest for you guys uh, about the new place after I've really homified it and made it a place I want to show off. Uh, the first week was just about getting everything kind of situated in the house and the utilities and the studio because, of course, got to make that money. And speaking of which, Allie, go ahead and throw it on out there because, of course, if I'm this charming about tea, then I know that you're thirsty to go ahead and pay me. Yes, rhyme schemes are slowly coming back as the voice improves. I hope you are going to go ahead and put a little money in that tip jar. I will try so hard not to say your name if you tell me not to say your name. I'm slightly getting better at that. I'm trying. I'm trying because it's only going to get weirder. Uh, Okay, so just as we go ahead and switch that all around, uh, guys, go ahead and get your quick quotes ready. Don't hit enter yet, but just go ahead. Allie, that's right. Go ahead and give them the... Give them the example test question like it's an SAT or something. Go ahead and get your quick quotes ready, and we'll go ahead and put them all on in there for me. I can't wait to read what the live girls have gone out and put out there for me. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm loosening my throat up as we speak because I really want to give it my all. I want to know what it sounds like kind of hamming it up in this new environ, in this new studio. Uh, and uh, I hope that you will enjoy uh, and, and join me in enjoying it. Isn't it exciting? Oh, I had something I wanted to talk about, but then I vamped this whole time, too, and I thought it was going to come back. Usually when I vamp that long, it comes back. It doesn't. Damn it. It didn't. Damn it. Uh, what do I want to talk about? Uh, oh, my body. Uh, so... I'm really sexy. That's pretty cool, right? I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because it's 100% true. Uh, I've been in bed recently and, and just lying on my side and flipping over, what have you, doing my stretches or or getting done with something. And my body legitimately just feels like a machine. And... I've been kind of dancing and swaying around my hallway. Uh, I've been feeling very, very, very good, balanced, physically balanced, I mean, uh, and just better all the time. 
uh, feel up my own ass, feel up my own thighs, feel up my own arms, my biceps and my triceps all the time. I feel myself up daily. Uh, I feel myself up in the shower. I feel myself up after workouts. Uh, I feel quite, quite good. I don't know how to take good pictures of it yet. I'm working on that. Uh, but uh, they're coming. There's some muscles that I'm just so excited about, and I don't want to say what they are in particular, but the cleft and the shape of them, the texture of them, like, I there's no other way to get around this. There's just a like piece of imagination in it. For one, these pictures will look really good, and so they'll sell me in the project, and so I need to get these pictures you know good and out there. So I'm thinking about how to do that. And then the other thing is there's just some of these muscles where the texture and the muscle look so good, it's almost impossible not to imagine getting a little bit of help with these pictures, not taking them. I'm going to need that regardless, but just to maybe accentuate how good I look, I've been fantasizing and practically thinking about how to make it pop for the internet even more. Uh, using the assistance of one of you. Uh, for instance, there's one particular muscle when I look at it, when I touch it, and I think about how to photograph it, I think it looks just perfect, just absolutely perfect for one of the Lady of the Night's tongues to slide into. And her face would have to be perpendicular to the muscle to do it, so her face would be in light profile, you could even obscure it with just the angle because the tongue is the important part. And I've been thinking about that picture and taking it and how close she would have to be, the fellow model, and her tongue, and how I could grip her tongue with my muscle, that area in between, just pinch it very slightly, not hard at all, but just a little between the planes of muscle. And how nice it would look to see this beautiful woman's face either masked or obscured or just tilted out and her tongue lurching into that crevice of muscle. And there's a couple little places on my body that feel like that and just how nice it would be. I don't have any particular hard plans, like I said, but... I've been trying to ready myself. What does that feel like? What does that look like as I prepare myself for these next steps and what's to come? And as I do the very practical question of, do I meet up with ladies of the night and let them lick me while well, getting pictures taken happen? If they're willing, am I able? Do I do, I do that? Do I... Do I have that happen? Do I encourage it? Do I ask for it? Do I, do I take the forward position? If I take the forward position, who am I on the other side of that? These kinds of questions. Because a lot of people have to pay. Not to be crass, a lot of men have to pay for what I get. <laughs> um, and, and, they, and they have to pay a lot to even project the image of getting what I have. And the only real way that I want to play that game of look at me, look at me, because that's really not my game, the only way I'd ever really want to play it is if I could play it on a level that some other 
people can't. Because, yeah, I know Chris Brown can get fans to come in and lick him for a photo shoot. I know that. There's not really a question in my mind. But I don't think it's the same thing. And I don't think I would make it the same thing. And I think that that's very attractive in its own way. So as I've been looking at my body and, and trying to figure out how to, to, to best serve up man meat, uh, both now and in the future, and really get that out there, that's been on my mind. The idea that I could get like a photo shoot like that going, and it would be very intimate, and it would be very obscene, uh, not in the pornographic way, but in the emotional way. And the fact that I'm considering it and talking about it and putting it out there must mean that I believe in it because I don't really give voice to thoughts unless I think that they have some merit or some gravity to them. Some meat on those bones, as it were. I also wonder, really wonder, because it is also casual to me, it's really not an act, sexuality and all of this stuff is really casual to me. Intimacy is hard for me. Sexuality is extremely easy, whether it's mine or someone else's. I, I don't have to be poly to totally get on board with somebody else's poly experience. I can be a heterosexual. I don't need to do anything to be on board for somebody who describes themselves as homosexual or queer or bi. I don't need to. I don't need to have any connection with them or any particular empathy or sympathy. Your sexuality is your own. Your journey is your own, just like mine is. Go and have it. Have fun as well as you can. So because I am so very casual, I think about stuff like this, and to me it is very casual. The intimacy is hard. But the actual sexuality of it is plain, is simple, is almost frustratingly so. And so I do think about what it would mean, because, of course, people's eyes generally tend to be bigger than their stomachs, what it would mean to actually be alone with the Lady of the Night going, okay, so here's, here's what we're going to do. It's a photo shoot, and we're going to touch each other. There's going to be another person in the room. There could be more people in the room for you if you want them there, yada, 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 to make you feel comfortable. Uh, this is this is very weird. I've never done anything like this. Of course, we're trying to capture your tongue on my skin and my hands on you and that sort of thing uh, because we're trying to take very sexy pictures for the Grey Knight to have uh, sexy, sexy pictures. And being with the woman who agrees with that, or women who agree with that, and getting everything set up, the difference is the hard part for me would be the asking. That that email, those phone conversations, that 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 contacting the boudoir photographer, that's the hard part for me. Once it's actually the day and the set and all that, it's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you. No, I'm going to need you to get closer on your knees, and I'm going to need you to get your tongue right next to the pelvic bone. The pelvic bone is the money shot. No, I'm going to need you to stop blushing. I'm definitely going to need you to stop blushing and the giggling. Okay, come on. Time is money. Let's go. Let's go. Tongue out to pelvis. That's right. That's right. Hand over the cock. Hand over the cock. Hand over the cock. Hand over, over, hand. There we go. You're right. You're right. You're 
right. Listen, from that angle, no one's going to believe you're fingering my butt. I need you to move your wrist, your wrist, your left wrist to your right. Your left wrist to your right. There we go. Okay. All right. Now we're talking. Because <clears throat> if you think it won't be that plain, like if you, if you legitimately think that I won't be walking in with a bag of McDonald's hash browns, like the mask and everything. Don't get me wrong. Like I'll have full hair, full hair and makeup and everything. But like the McDonald's hash browns being all like, okay, guys, we've only got three hours. We've only got like three hours. So let's fucking do this shit. <laughs> what do you think it was going to be? I'm a very practical man. You think we're going to go to some fucking hotel room in the Bahamas or something? And I was just going to fuck and I was going to take the occasional picture. This ain't no Fifty Shades of Grey. This is a business expense. The photographer costs $250 an hour. Boudoir is French for charges you three times as much. <laughs> All right, girls. Quick quotes, quick quotes. Let's get them out and let's move this show right along. Hopefully you're having a good time. I'm having a pretty good time too. Quick quotes. Quick quotes. When I do that really hard, late at night, I wonder if somebody thinks a compressor is running. <laughs> You're such a good girl for me. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? You taste so fucking good. Come here, baby girl. Daddy missed you. Get on your knees for daddy. <laughs> you better quit teasing me, princess. Come here, baby girl. Daddy's not done with you yet. Give Daddy a kiss, baby girl. Open up and show me you swallowed every last drop. That's a good girl. You're amazing. You've got this. Quick quotes for anybody else who wants to hear it. Finishing it on up. Type it on in. Hurry, 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 girls. Finishing up the quick quotes because Daddy just talked a little bit too long tonight. So we have to keep the show on a rolling. We got to keep it going. We got to keep it rolling. Jody says, so good to have you back, lovely. And mm, right back at you. Thank you, darling. 
Maria says, so happy that you're back. It's so good to be out of prison. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much, Maria. <clears throat> Me, a good girl. Daddy needs you here. You moan for him. I'm never going to stop telling you how hot you are. So you better get used to it. Okay, is there any new girl who wants to be brave besides Midnight Fox? Thank you so much, Midnight Fox. Appreciate you very much. Any new girl at all who wants to close us out? We do. We have a new girl, JC. Thank you so much. She's going to close us out. We love it when a new girl says hello, and we love it when she makes the request. Moving on into the recorded segment after we get this from her. After she puts it up, everybody get ready to give her a little round of applause. <clears throat> and she gets me with the meme after all that excitement. <clears throat> Hey, you. You're finally awake. You were trying to cross the border, right? <laughs> Eight years old, and we're still doing Skyrim memes, and people still are like, I don't know if Skyrim was that great of a game. Eight years later, we're still doing Skyrim memes, and people are like, I don't know if it was that great of a game, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> what more do you need? Uh, guys, thank you so much. Please keep in mind that Daddy works so hard for your tip money so he can blow it all on pizza. Please put it in his tip pocket. Tip po Why did I say pee? Tip jar. <laughs> tip poultice? What was I thinking? Tip purse, maybe? Tip purse. That makes sense. And that would that would be why I'd stop, right? Because it'd be like, oh, they can't think of me as having a purse. They'll think of me as feminine if I say purse instead of jar. <sighs> the only time you can say purse and powerful is when you say the power of the purse. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to talk about how masculine I am with my skincare and makeup regimen. No, not really. No, not really. Just don't give a shit. I think I've talked about this briefly before I get into poetry. I have, I have like, dude bro camouflage between the resting bitch face and, like, the big guy who's done some, you know, some power lifting and, and strength training in his past and what have you. Um, you know, a lot of times, like, if I'm ever at a bar or something or, like, I'm – like, and I like, I like, I like, I like meathead food. I do. All right? I like beer. I like hot wings. Okay? I'm not I'm not all that different. So sometimes, like, a guy will be like, hey, man, how's it going? Uh, women aren't shit, right? <laughs> right? Like, a lot of times, like, sometimes a guy will just walk up to me and he'll assume that I'm a bro like him. And I'm just, I'm just going to bro out. And my favorite example of this is I was at a bar waiting for something. Um, and it was a sports bar. I didn't know that. I just dropped in. Uh, I was just waiting for something to start. It was pretty, pretty laissez-faire sometime in my 20s. Uh, and a basketball game was on. And I'm just eating my wings and drinking my beer at the sports bar in the middle of the day because I'm a responsible adult at this point. And a guy just kind of sits down and he just kind of starts talking to me about the game that I was casually watching because there was no cell phones back then. And 
And he's telling me all about like the offense and the defense. He's telling me all about that. And I'm like, like looking at it and like nodding along and I'm eating my hot wings and I'm drinking my beer. And like, he didn't say his name, nor did he ask me mine, nor did he ask me anything really. He just was talking about the game. So I'm eating my hot wings and I drink my beer and I get done with it all and I wipe up and all that. He goes, oh, I shouldn't assume you were a blank fan. One of the teams playing. And I legitimately finished it up and like sipped my beer and was like, oh, I'm not a fan of anything you just said at all. (laughs) I'd be a little bit more forceful about that shit these days. I would definitely stop him before my second wing, but my mouth was full anyway was my thinking at the time, right? Like I was already eating hot wings, so... I mouth was occupied. What was I going to do? Tell him to stop? Was I going to slow down the induction of hot wing and beer to tell this guy to fuck off? Because I legitimately thought he was going to fuck off after, I don't know, a minute or two. That's usually how long a sports rant lasts. He went on for five to ten before he finally asked a quote-unquote question. <laughs> He's the kind of guy, I can just tell you right now, there's kind of, there's, I'm, I'm underplaying how much of a bitch he is. Uh, I guarantee you right now he has used the line at least once in his life. I guarantee you he walked up to a woman at least once in his life and used the line or an analog. So you want to go out with me or are you a dyke? Like I guarantee you it's just all over his chakras. I guarantee you he's just that type. He's just that fucking tight. Like, it was just, it was just etched. Listen, there's two kinds of people here at a sports bar at 2 p.m. drinking beer. Me and a bunch of fucking losers. Guess which category you're in, asshole. Leave me alone. Okay, and with that, let us let us talk about an equal uh, experience of suffering and humanity. <clears throat> a poem by Maya Angelou. You may write down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Cause I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with certainty of tides, just like hopes or springing high, still I'll rise. Do you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard? Cause I laugh like I've got gold mines, digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, Like air, all rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of huts of history's shame, I 
rise. Up from the past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide, welling and swelling I bear in the tide, leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise. Bring the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of a slave, I rise. I rise, I rise. Still I rise, Maya Angelou. Uh, I don't know if a white guy should ever really be reading that poem, but it is a beautiful poem, uh, and thank you whoever suggested it, truly. Truly don't think you did anything wrong. It's not the first time uh, it's been suggested. Uh, Maya Angelou, always lovely. And strange enough as it is to think, occasionally you're always exposing someone to Maya Angelou for the first time if you're exposing enough people to it, eh? All right, so. <clears throat> I thought I was tough, but gentled at your hands. Cannot be quick enough to fly for you and show that when I go, I go at your commands. Even in flight above, I am no longer free. You sealed me with your love. I am blind to other birds. The habit of your words has hooded me. As formerly, I wheel, I hover, and I twist, but only want to feel in the possessiveness thought of catcher and of caught upon your wrist. But you're half-civilized, taming me in this way, though having only eyes for you, I fear to lose, I lose to keep and choose, tamer as prey. Tamer and Hawk by Tom Gunn G-U-N-N <clears throat> we used to say, that's my heart right there, as if to say, don't mess with her right there, as if, don't even play, that's a part of me right there. In other words, okay, okay, that's the start of me right there, as if, come that day, that's the end of me right there, as if, push come to shove, I would fend for her right there, as if, come what may, I would lie for her right there, as if, come love to pay, I would die for that right there. That's My Heart Right There by Willie Perdomo, P-R-D-O-M-O. <clears throat> We've got one final poem tonight, so I, I do hope you're enjoying the poetry, and here we go. <clears throat> that time of year thou mayest in me behold when yellow leaves, or none, or few, do hang upon those boughs which shake against the cold, bare, ruined choirs, where late the sweet birds sang. 
In me thou seest the twilight of such day as after sunset fadeth in the west, which by and by black night doth take away death's second self that seals up all in rest. In me thou seest the glowing of such fire that on the ashes of his youth doth lie, and the deathbed whereon it must expire, consumed with that which was nourished by, this thou perceivest, which makest thy love more strong, to love the well which thou must leave ere long. Sonnet 73 The Time of Year Thou Mayest in Me Behold by William Shakespeare Once again, that tip jar has got to come up because you know Daddy love it. Kelly, it sounds so good to have you back. You sound so happy. Glad to have you back. Thank you so much, Kelly. Angie says, missed you. Angie, thank you so much. Lisa says, so happy and so excited for you. So happy and so excited for us all. Thank you very much, darlings. You know that I appreciate it and you very, very much. I don't quite know what we're getting into next. I know that we've got some long and I believe spooky porn to finish us off with. Uh, I don't mind if we run a little bit long tonight. Obviously, if you girls have something better to do, it'll only break my heart if you go. But that's okay. We know that you have a lot of different... Oh, no, I was going to do an airlines joke. Oh, gosh. I messed it up. We know that you have a lot of alternatives for flying to your place towards orgasm and poetry. We appreciate you flewing on Grey Night Aurora. That didn't really work. I'm sorry for that. That bit didn't... I can do better. I can do better than that. I've been thinking about airplanes, and I've been thinking about travel. Uh, I'm going to be working very hard up until the 25th, maybe the 24th. I don't know why my voice went up quite like that. Uh, around the 25th or so, uh, or the 24th, I'm going to be working pretty much straight through. I'm going to be taking a couple of days off here and there just to, you know, hang out. But besides that, I think it's going to be a lot of recording. It's going to be a lot of video game streaming. It's going to be just a lot of uh, work and errands around the house as well, getting everything Christmasified so I can have it all set and done by the time I come back. Why? Because I'm going to a friend's giving and uh, I'm actually, like, going on an airplane and everything. Everything's already booked. I've got my own bed when I arrive, uh, and I'm going to be doing, like, a Thanksgiving thing, and I'm just so excited that it's just taken care of. I'm so excited that it's just done. And if I hit my productivity goals in these next two and a half weeks, if I get everything situated by the 24th that I want to get done, if the Patreon is all stocked up and full, fuller than it's ever been in a single month in November, and I get everything situated with the podcast, I want all the podcasts done recording before I, I even consider switching off that modem for a couple of days uh, and what have you. Uh, when I get everything all situated and all correct and all ready to go, uh, if I get it all done, I'm going to take an Uber even to the airport and back and, like, just have the best fucking time. So cross your fingers that I can get that productivity in because I think that would legitimately kick this next attempted little vacation off uh, in the best way possible. I'm trying so, so, so hard to open myself up 
to the universe, to opportunity, to friendship, to romance, to to love, towards all of it. I'm doing my best. It's very difficult for me. I'm not in any way trying to play up the the abuse aspect of my life or the mental illness aspect that results from it. Um, but just before we get into the, the readings real quick, it is very difficult to disentangle aspects of your mental illness that gave you survival. Survival is a hell of a gift. Life's a hell of a gift. And if part of the the process that you're using to get by in your day-to-day now isn't working for you, but used to give you that gift, was was necessary for it, it's very difficult to untangle all the tertiary aspects of that. There's the aspects that you know, right? Oh, anger made me survive because if I wasn't angry, I wasn't focused, I wasn't capable of, of dealing with the with the conflicts and, and things that were being thrown at me that were, that were too young for me. So that anger, that aggression, okay, I, I get it. So sometimes I get angry when I'm afraid or sometimes I get angry when I'm worried because because uh, it all taps back to survival. Boom, that's an easy thing to understand. What's not so easy to understand is that like maybe – Maybe another part of your process uh, of of getting angry is not just in the moment, but also 48 to 60 hours later, you yell at a friend about a video game and then go and get Panda Express. That part's not so easy to pick up on. That maybe takes a little bit more therapy sessions than the first part um, because you really don't know you're doing that and you don't. You know that there's a part of you that's not working, but everybody's got parts of them that aren't working, and everybody are working around them. So untangling aspects of your personality from actual aspects of abuse and actual and actual residual schemas, I don't mean to use too big of a word, that aren't working for you anymore, is just so hard. Because where, where do you begin, and where does the bad behavior end? Where can you draw that line, and how do you begin to define it? How do you remove it from you, like surgery? Except it's not going to be one surgery. It's going to be over and over and over again. How do you define and go through it, even once you acknowledge that you're having these secondary and third, these tertiary effects to to having a different experience than other people? I'm just so proud, and I'm just so honored to say words that are not easy for me to say about myself, that it just legitimately seems to be happening. Um, The metaphor that I'm using these days is that running is just always falling forward and then making the right move at the last second. When you're running, you're just always falling forward. And then at the last second, you make the maneuver that makes the whole process work. And everybody has a one foot in front of the other metaphor, but um, you can't run without that falling, without that tilt. That, that gravity pulling you down is part of the process. And then you have to be ready for your part of it in response. But you, you can't go as fast as you want without that scary, scary pull. And that impact... And that part of you that knows that it's going to have to be there. Otherwise, you are going to fall. But I've been trusting myself to fall forward. 
and to run forward and to just try and to not have everything figured out and to, to just be okay with it, to order groceries without a single double check. And if I forget something, which I inevitably will and have, to be okay with it and to just let it go. Small things like that, but also big things like flirting, like agreeing to see friends, like putting myself out there, like making moves before I had the money to do it, like putting in 30-day notices before I had a place to be. I am trying so hard to open myself up. And I know some of you see it, and I know some of you are encouraging it, and all I can say to you is thank you so much. Because as I said at the beginning, uh, before we get into the, the reading to close out the show, home is not where I am or who I'm with. Home is what I believe. Home is the idea of what can be, and that security and that stability that that idea is. Uh, and the reason why I was so quick and so easy to commit to this and, and, and make this uh, the base of operations for the next six months, which very successfully feels like from where we're sitting, uh, is because home is wherever I am uh, as long as you are with me in spirit. Um, as, as long as I can say uh, I might not be here for a little while or things are rough right now, as long as I have that ability to, to tell you guys that honestly without fear, which is exactly what I have, uh, then in some way you are always home. And please don't feel stressed because you can't put money in a jar or because uh, you don't have any friends to tell. I Please don't feel bad because you don't have quote-unquote enough to offer. Um, you being my fan and my supporter in any way is is part of why I'm here, is part of why I'm trying to fall forward and, and run faster all the time. So one last time before we get into it, um, I'm very happy here. I'm here because of you guys. I want to make you proud. I, I want to make good on some promises, and I don't feel any stress or strain saying any of it. So uh, uh, I guess we have to do it, right? It's the only thing left. So, uh, Thank you for being a lady of the night. Thank you for uh, being a fan. And uh, thank you for being a part of this grand, strange home that we continue to build, that I continue to build. And I'm honored that you continue to come back to time and time again. Okay. <clears throat> Rescind the palm dash of scallion. The final blessing of ground perilla seeds and sesame leaf. Unshred the crown daisy. Take the soup off the flame. Kill the flame. Unsinge the bottom of the pot until your face reflects in its gunmetal glint. De-Korean the broth. Vacate its ginger and onion and garlic. The rice wine and red swelter, restore the ground chili flakes to their unshown forms, and hang the bloodless red fruit back up their perennials. Unwater the perennials, vines retreating to the crease of their seeds. Commit yourself to this unharvest, the joy of unmaking. 
let the soup unthicken, the starch pull back into the cells of the russets, fish the russets out from the pork-spine cages, and lay them to rest back into the earth. Now address the spines, pick them out of the pot, and lay them grown raw across the cutting-board face, watch the blood pull back into itself, replenish its own marrow. Love. You'll need shoes for this. Leave the kitchen. Seek the sow and unslaughter it. But if you find the pig dismembered and cannot bear it, grant yourself permission to not tend to her remembrement. Remember, just because you're a daughter doesn't mean you must mend. Instead, first let her tend to herself, her unthatched belly calling for the return of lost things, bone, honeycomb ma, her clumsy animal heart until she speaks, dear reader, I so want to survive this. Please dream me whole into another season, so that I may dare begin again. Reversal by Ji Yun Yun uh, J-I-H-Y-U-N-Y-U-N. <clears throat> Very interesting piece. It starts with kissing, because it always starts with kissing. Pulling her into my arms has become a foundational element of everything that follows. A lodestone or just the sturdy trunk from which a thousand different possibilities branch off in every direction. I already know what I want to do with her tonight. In fact, I've been thinking about it for a few days now, squeezing my legs together a little harder whenever a pop unbuttons into my head. First, though, I need to feel her lips against mine, followed by the soft, warm skin on the back of her neck, under her sweat-damp hairline. She's on her front, head tilted to the side. She's there because that's where I want her. That's how I want her. Even if she doesn't know it yet, I kiss her mouth, her cheek, her neck. I run the flat of my palm down her back, pressing her gently into the mattress. Her body feels so relaxed, patient, it's nice to have time for this again, to fuck without half an eye on the clock. She parts her legs just a little when I move my fingers between them. I ignore the invitation and grab a handful of butt, digging my nails into her skin. Not yet. Not yet. She laughs and reaches down, searching for my cock. Okay. Maybe now. Physical arousal is sometimes a slow burn. I can feel it humming in the air between us, but I am not yet hard. And when I do, I slide my fingers down over her cunt. It's not yet wet. After nearly five years, though, you learn to pick up on other signals, like the noise she makes any time my fingertips move close enough to a clit, or the way she scrabbles at the sheet 
and braces her body against it. I reach for the lube, and she lifts a hand so I can squirt a generous dollop into it. I coat my own middle fingers, too, and then return it to her cunt, as she starts squeezing and stroking my cock. Still, she is flat on her stomach, her head tilted to one side so we can continue to kiss while we touch each other. To begin with, I focus mainly on her labia. I know that if I go straight for her clit, things will move much too quickly. On the other hand, I don't want to fill and stretch her with my fingers. Tonight, I have other ways of doing that. So I just caress her vulva as gently as I can, or can bear to. It's slick now, and not just from the lube. She's so wet I can hear it, which never fails to be the absolute hottest thing imaginable. Of course... Whoops. Of course, there are several constraints placed upon my patience by her hand on my cock. It's impossible to ignore, not less because she's apparently making zero effort to take things slowly. Her grip is slick and tight, and each deliberate stroke traverses the full length from base to tip. I can feel my skin rippling under her fingers as they move along the shaft towards the head, which ought to be impossible, given how taut everything is. I'm also aware that I'm on the verge of losing a degree of control over the situation. I don't always object to her taking over. It's far enough outside the usual dynamic to be interesting in its own right, even before you factor in how good she is at it. But it's not what I want on this occasion. Luckily, I know how to turn the tables. Keeping my touch light, I inch closer and closer to a clit. Direct stimulation at this point will render her almost completely helpless. In a way that I find simultaneously hilarious, endearing, arousing, and, at times like this, very useful. With great difficulty, I limit myself to intermediate contact. I roll the pad of my fingers over it, back and forth, and then away again. I curve along each side, up and down, up and down, while the hand flexes around my cock. She moans into my mouth as we kiss. Okay, yeah, it might be too much, but it's enough. Roll. Over. I say, pulling my lips away from hers, onto your front. Releasing my cock, she maneuvers herself around and starts to rise up on all four. No. My hand on the small of her back, not pushing, just applying sufficient weight to ease her down till her stomach is flat on the mattress. Like this. Now, as in the air, please. She lifts her bottom towards my waiting hands. I fan them out across it, pulling her cheeks apart. At the same time, I straddle her thighs and use her own legs to jam her clothes together. My cock slides between her buttocks and I look down, enjoying not just the view but her obvious reluctance to wait even a second longer to feel it inside her. I don't even need to see her face to know exactly what she wants and how she wants it.
So I give it to her, just for a minute, just to make things even more frustrating and delicious when I take it away again. I hold her very still with one hand and use the other to smear saliva of the head on my cock. Hold it against the entrance to her cunt and feel it open up just enough to pull it inside. This is the position designed for depth, depth and intensity, all achieved with minimal movement. I don't need to worry about matching my rhythm to hers because she can't move, not with my weight pressing down on her thighs and ass pinning her to the bed. For my part, I need to do little more than tease and relax the muscles in my own ass to send my cock thrusting all the way inside her. If I want to fuck her cunt more forcefully, I can move my hands back to her waist and use it as a pivot point taking all of my weight and arms and sawing back and forth till each arm stroke brings with it a loud and immensely satisfying squelch. And yes, this is precisely what I do. For a second, it's like I physically couldn't be fucking her any harder. She's locked into place and her cunt is the focal point for every drop of energy flowing through my body. It feels absolutely incredible. She feels absolutely incredible from the warmth and softness of her skin to the way she's getting wetter and wetter around my cock. A part of me doesn't want to stop. She, instead of pulling out completely, I slow down. I pull back. I stop moving completely. When just a couple of inches are left inside her, the protest noises start in earnest. Hey, come on, don't be mean, please. The bottle of lube is still on the mattress next to her. I pick it up and pump a generous dollop into my hand. This is one of those moments when five years' worth of accumulated trust comes in handy. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to fuck you. And when I'm done with your cunt, I'm going to push the head of my cock into your ass and fill you with my cum. Okay. From the noise she made into the pillow when she lowers her head, I assume that it is, in fact, okay. Relaxing my thighs, I let gravity take its course and watch my cock disappear inside her again. On the shelf above our bed, there's a small collection of sex toys from which I select the Zumio. Laser-focused, powerful, very effective, perfect for what's about to happen. I land it to her and wait as she lifts her torso just far enough to slip it under the position, oscillating tip. To a clit. Vibrator in place, she pushes back onto my cock and I grind into her. As I'm doing so, I smear lube over my right thumb and start working it into her asshole. Her noises are different now, less controlled. I imagine mine are too. I may be in charge of her body right now, but that doesn't mean I have the same level of control over my own. And she feels so fucking good. With my whole thumb in her ass, I pick up the pace again. I can tell she's close. It never takes long for the zoom to make her come, which is why it has a permanent home within lazy reach of the pillow. So I start thrusting as deep and hard as I can, my legs pinning hers tonight together as feels as though as glorious resistance with each stroke. When she comes, I have to grab onto her hips and stop her from falling away from my cock. Her body doesn't go limp exactly. It's more that she becomes even more pliable. And I fuck her through one long orgasm, tells her head and grin at me, hair plastic 
plastered to her face with sweat. I know I'm close, and I know she knows it too, because she turns away and plants her hands on the mattress again. Are you ready for this? I say, my voice almost a whisper even though no one else is within earshot. She nods, so I add more lube to my cock and then line up the tip between her cheeks. While my other hand finds the opening and spreads it wide, she tenses as the head fills her and makes a noise that stops me from going any further. When I start to pull back through, she says, No, it's okay. And I relax a bit. So does she, because without any effort or energy on my part, her ass starts to pull more and more of my cock inside her. By the time I'm feeling comfortable thrusting, about half of me is filling her, and the noises she's making are far less uncertain. That feels so fucking good. I manage to say between gasps, the word I'm looking for is exhilarating. That's partly because we don't do this very often. Anal is an occasional diversion rather than the regular route, but I think I mainly just know that I won't have to hold back at all. She's really into it. The sensations are brilliant, and with every small jerk of my hips, I know I'm getting closer and closer to an orgasm we both enjoy. What happens when I feel that familiar surge and swell? I pull back enough that I just head inside her again. I find myself closing my eyes and opening them again to look down, to watch my cock twitching in her ass as the jizz already is starting to squeeze out around it. As ever, the first sound out of her mouth afterward is laughter. By this time, though, we're both laughing, happy, Flushed, slightly overwhelmed by it all, we stare at each other and bask in the giddy joy of what we've just done. Sometimes, all it takes is one kiss. Catalyst by Exhibit A Whew! A little sip after that. All right, guys. We've got two more porn pieces left. Both a little bit longer than that one. Quite a bit longer than that one, I should say. <clears throat> Let's get right on in to the next one. My boots crunched into the icy sidewalk as I made my way up the block. It wasn't all that late, but the city was shrouded in the calm, muted black of a midwinter night and had been for a couple of hours. Like always, I texted him to announce my arrival. He didn't like to have me lingering on the front porch, despite the darkness and my unassuming aesthetic. You never know who could be watching. He opened the door before I could knock, greeting me with the same smile warm, welcoming, and a little wary, like he just woke up from a nap. Hi. I stretched the length of the vowel out as far as it would go before stepping over the familiar threshold into his home. There she is, he said, my favorite girl. 
He closed the door behind me, and I kicked off my boots, careful not to dip my socks into the bits of snow I'd tracked in. When I turned to face him, he scooped me up into his arms, and we kissed like it had been too long. Mm. I've missed you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Shall we? I gestured up the stairs, and I ambled up ahead of him, deliberately slowly because I knew he was watching the sway of my hips. The years had not diluted the performance art of my seduction. I was more confident and alluring than ever. I followed the well-worn trail up the living room where everything was exactly as it always was, the bottle of Chardonnay with two glasses, the pack of cigarettes with the lighter and pre-rolled joints perched atop, the ashtray, the neat pile of magazines, the small stack of bills that I never touched until right before I left, the remote control for the television, the tray for tiny snacks that we somehow never succeeded in tempting me. Under my coat, I was wearing a button-down shirt with a bolo tie and a fitted leather jacket and tight black skinny jeans, my new uniform for when I wanted to leave a sea of prostrate queers in my wake. It worked well with my pixie cut, freshly inked. Wow, he said as I made the reveal. I love the look. Very K-pop meets punk rock. Thank you. That's exactly what I was going for. I said, plopping myself down on the couch next to him. I have a party to go to right after this. And here I thought it was just for me. He said with a touch of faux dejection, Oh, no, it's mostly for you, but I need something that would work the right amount of sexy for both occasions. Well, I think you nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. Like always, we unwound and caught up as old friends. He poured my wine, we toasted to ourselves to the impending holiday season. I waved myself into him as we talked, turned to murmurs of reunion, my legs on his lap, the fingers of my freehand kneading through the curls at the base of his skull. He melted into my hand. He was always powerless to my touch. Mm, I love the way you play with me. He swooned through a distended exhale. You make it so easy. I untangled my limbs and placed my glasses down on the table. When I came back to him, I climbed up into his lap and straddled him where he sat. Unwrapping my arms around his neck, we kissed long and deep. His loose pants did nothing to hide his burgeoning erection. He moaned into my mouth as I rocked into him. All right, come, he said. I can't wait any longer. Let's go to the bedroom. <laughs> Lead the way, sir. Like always, poppy radio dance beats played through the television in the corner as I entered the bedroom ahead of him. I made my way to the far side of the bed and put my glass down on the nightstand. I used to do this to have an excuse to steal peeks at the clock without being accused of doing so, but by now it was just another part of the comfortable routine. He closed the door, and we stripped ourselves down to our underwear, all smiles. We crawled up to the king-size bed from our respective sides and met in the middle, where he welcomed me into his embrace. 
The contrast of the warmth where we connected and the slight chill of the room on the outer edges was deliciously pleasant. A shudder ran through me into him. The softness never lasted long, though, because his hunger for me was always a ravenous one. Horizontal reconnection makeouts transitioned quickly into more pressing desires. I need to taste you, he demanded. He noticed the slight strain to my neck even before I did. He adjusted my pillow for me and invited me to lay back as he wriggled himself down to nestle himself between my legs. He was a man who knew exactly what he wanted and how he wanted it, but that never took away from how generous he was with me in turn. We had been well-mashed from the beginning, both sympathetic to our nonverbal cues as much as the words that we used whenever necessary. His tongue and his fingers gradually worked their way into me with a familiarity and precision as I cracked wide open. Mm. He jiggled my ass with both hands like he was trying to shake himself loose from my dripping cunt. God, you always taste so fucking good. I laughed. He used the exact same lines every time we met over the course of many years. Yet somehow, they never lost their authenticity. Perfectly in tune, he pulled away just as I pushed him off. I needed a moment's respite, and besides, now... It was my turn to taste. I laid him back down to the dip I'd left in the bed, and he hovered the weight of my breath around his cock, nuzzling into the crook of his groin. I knew how wild it made him to be teased like this, the slight denial, slow, close, yet you can't quite quit him when close enough. He had been waiting all day for this. I liked that I could taste every inch of charged need before putting my tongue on him. Finally, I slid the flat of my tongue from the base along the shaft all the way up to the circumcised tip. A shudder ripped through his whole body, and his leg twitched as I eased the crown of his cock past my lips, whooped him without any haste, deeper and deeper, until I couldn't take any more. He rested his hand lightly on either side of my face, holding me there at my limits. His thighs shook violently in approval when I grabbed at his balls. Oh, yeah. Play with my balls, yes. That's so good. I love that. I know you do, said the squeeze of my smile around the base of his shaft. When he released me, I found his own rhythm again, taking him faster and harder than before. That sensation of control, governance over someone else's pleasure, giving it to them and making it my own, it has my own cunt throbbing and prepared for the next transition. Oh my God, he groaned. I'm going to come in two minutes if you keep doing that. Not one to talk with my mouth full, I merely laughed through my nose and looked up at him. You look so pretty with my cock in your mouth. Turn around. I want to taste you again. Happily, I flipped around and buried my face between his folds. I admit, I'd always found this part of our script a little trying. It's difficult to stay focused on cocksucking and enjoy what's being offered to me simultaneously. Furthermore, the more diligent he was, the further I'd been pushed down on his torso until my mouth could do no longer to reach the tip of his cock. But his intentions were good, 
and I liked looking at myself in the mirror directly across in that position. I pressed my cheek against his inner thigh, making eye contact with myself while I stroked his shaft with his spit-covered palm until he got his fill. Mm, fuck, you taste so good. I could eat you all night. Well, your enthusiasm is always much appreciated. I said as I peeled myself off him, I took a languorous slip of wine while he slid the condom on. When he was ready, I raised an eyebrow in question, and he pat the mattress in front of him in response, the signal that he was ready for me to come back to him. I crawled back onto the mattress on my hands and knees, eyeing him in a way that was playful and predatory. All at once, he leaned down to kiss me and then urged me to flip over onto my back. I laughed and squealed with gentle glee as he dragged me in my hips to pull me close in a line. He bowed me over as though I was plenty wet and slapped a glob of saliva on his cock for good measure before sliding his sheathed head past my pussy. Oh, my God, he groaned as he filled me. You're always so fucking tight. I consciously pulsated my muscles around his girth a few times and smiled. <laughs> the better to squeeze you with, my dear. He leaned back in, kissing me harder than before as he pumped harder and deeper, spreading my knees wide, ankles up on his shoulders, folding onto my side. Every shift got a better differing angle than the one before. There was always a point where both of us needed a little bit more brutality. I pushed him off me and got on all fours to present my ass to him. While he moaned approvingly and found his place behind me, I took another sip of wine to rinse my drying mouth. Now, doggy style has been a long-time favorite of mine for a lot of reasons, but primarily because both parties can really dig into it and have the leverage and power to push back harder than in any other position. But very few people in this lifetime have been able to fuck me from behind as this man did. He was perfectly endowed to reach every millimeter that yearned to be pummeled without any fear of going too far. His hands grabbed at my hair, my hips, my ass with gruff determination. He dug his short nails into the flesh covering at my hip bones with all the conviction of a bull rider. I pounded back into him, urging him on while my hand raced rapidly around my clit. I knew I wouldn't come yet. The fires were definitely stoked, burning hot and bright. He could feel it too. The heat was too much and he pulled away, sliding out of me with a quick slap on my ass. From that angle, he couldn't have been able to see how much he made me bite my lip without any irony. Come on, he said breathlessly. As he stood and took the long swing of the juice in the glass by the bed, I grabbed the bottle of water at the same time and downed half of it. We both held hard eye contact and soft smiles as we caught our breath and reined into our racing heart rates. He moved to the corner and pat the bed to edge the signal to the next act. I smiled and assumed the position obligingly, on my back, hips and ass dangling just over the corner. He got down on his knees and ate me out as any good lover should. With one hand, he clasped my breast, and with the other, he stroked himself beyond my field of vision. I closed my eyes and lay back to relieve, receive his offering. 
When he curled his fingers up inside me and began to thrust, I traced deliberate circles into my clit. With his diligent, generous hands, he urged me closer and closer to the brink. My hand flew harder and faster over my clit. My walls grasped at the absence of something to strangle. Fuck me, I grunted. I need you to fuck me. I felt his grin press into me right before he rose and slammed his cock into me without pomp or splendor. I wailed my approval as he grabbed my ass with his free hand and encouraged him deeper. He fucked me with all the strength and stamina of a soldier while I stroked myself feverishly, teetering on an increasingly frustrated plateau. I could already tell that if I got there, it would be ruinous. You look so fucking gorgeous when you touch yourself like that. The tension of being held on the edge, looking down into the uncertain darkness below, waiting for the signal to jump is almost more pleasurable than the free fall that follows. Every corner of my being collapsed in and of itself. My eyes scrunched closer and burst wide while he did his best to keep going. His pace slowed. My grip on his cock was threatening to end him. He buried deep into me, and he held himself there, squeezing and massaging the insides of my thighs with both hands. That's it. He urged, come all over my cock. That's it. Come all over me. And I did. I came harder than I'd ever known with him. I wailed as the long, hard, form-shattering wave washed over me and birthed me anew. I felt disconnected from my physical vessel. My head rocked and rolled from my side to side while my eyes and tongue lolled around without any consciousness there to keep them in line. He pulled away and got up on the bed with me, laying back, and he invited me to do the same. It's okay, he said. Shh, take your time. I was shaking and shuddering. I lay down next to him. I sat up. I was disoriented. I fell over. I pressed my cheek to his thigh. I curled into a ball. I began to weep. Wow, I hiccuped. Thank you. He said nothing, but I heard the smile into his sigh. He removed the condom and put a careful hand on my shoulder, though I flinched inadvertently. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry, I gasped through the light sobs of delirium. Everything's just, it's just so sensitive. No, no, don't be sorry, he said. That was amazing. He gave me the time and space to recover. My orgasms have the tendency to be powerful enough to momentarily erase my mind and demand a moment of recovery. But this was exceptionally debilitating. My nerves were firing from all over, forearm muscles spasming as I came back to my body. I clenched my fists and extended my fingers, trying to remember what they were supposed to feel like. When I started to feel a little more solid, I lazily played with his cock again with my hands, then my mouth. I stirred him back to hard. He assured me that he wouldn't take long at this rate. I took him deeper tugging his balls with one hand and all the force he demanded until he came down hard into the back of my throat.
I choked down as much as I could, though some of it trickled out of the corners of my mouth, mixing with the tears still streaming down my face. The makeshift cocktail pooled at the base of his shaft to coat the soft, dark curls there, down past the crook of his groin, and into the mattress beyond. I rinsed my mouth with the Chardonnay again. It was his turn to come down. We snuggled indefinitely, me playing with his hair and scratching down the length of his body. He nuzzled into me while I held him there. There's never enough time with you, he breathed into my chest. I felt the subtle leak of his tears into my breastbone. I said nothing. I smiled and held the space for him while panting with the nurturing strokes. After a long silence, he came back to me. I'm sorry, he said, turning away to erase his tears as subtly as possible. No, never apologize. I cooed softly. Not for that. I slipped into the bathroom to piece myself back together as best as I could. I had a party to attend, after all. When I was ready, I found him back in the living room, wrapped in his robe and smoking a cigarette. When I sat down next to him, he wondered if I wanted one. I didn't smoke often, but like everything between us, it was part of the ritual, and I gladly accepted. Our chat was loose as our time together came to a close. My phone vibrated in my pocket. My friends were wondering if I planned on arriving. I gathered the stack of bills and tucked them into the side pocket in my bag without counting them while he refilled the glass one last time. At the bottom of the stairs, I slipped back into my boots and we shared a lingering embrace and soft kisses. I'll see you again soon, he said. Until next time. I agreed. I have fun tonight. You know I will. I heard the door shut and the porch light flick out behind me as I skipped down the front steps with wine warming my belly, bliss and nicotine buzzing softly through my nervous system and the scent of his cock on my hand. I traipsed down the frigid sidewalk. The mixture of our aroma sat somewhere at the back of my throat and it rose to the bottom of my deeper exhales. A street lamp flickered, burst into darkness as I passed under it. I laughed softly to myself and merged once again with the night. <clears throat> A Night In and Out by Jane Renault. R-E-N-A-U-L-T. Oof! You know, as a sex worker, I had a lot of feelings about that story. As a sex worker? <laughs> All right, guys, we have one final story to read. That means it's the last appeal for tips. If you are going to throw some money in the tip jar, please do it now. And that way I will say your name before the end of the show. Adrian said nothing, but she did tip. Thank you so much, darling. Uh, Doug, or Rose, I guess I should say, you are amazing, Jack. Thank you so much, Rose. I appreciate it and you. Apologies for the wrong name there. Adrian and Rose appreciate you both. Again, it is the last poll for the tip show. Thank you so much. All right, guys, it is going to go ahead and be the last story for tonight. Are you ready for it? I hope you are. I surely do. 
This was supposed to come up last week, but we hit a pretty hard wall insofar as content. So it's a spooky, scary story. We're going to get it knocked right on out for you. Hope you're looking at a great weekend ahead of you. Always love you guys coming out. Always appreciate each and every last one of you who do so. Mm. Okie dokie. Here we go. <clears throat> Up until the night he died, Ethan Abbott's tenure as a Vermont state trooper had been blissfully uneventful, which was how he liked it. A creature of habit, he took comfort in the uniform and the regular hours, the ritual of climbing into the patrol car and cruising down the same stretch of highway four nights a week, 46 weeks out of the year. Sure, he'd done it with his share of reckless drivers, equipment violations, and DUIs, but when Ethan promised his wife that he'd be home for breakfast, it was safe to assume that he'd be back in time for a quickie in the shower before she could set foot in the kitchen. It was this presumption of security, this lack of variation, that made Ethan reluctant to take his wife seriously when she said, If you leave tonight, you won't come back tomorrow. Ethan kissed her sweet spot behind her ear and said, You can't know that, Rosie. But she did. She knew it as well as she knew the man inside her. Having loved one another since they were children, they were well aware of each other's quirks like Ethan's blind trust and Rose's hunches, one of her many eccentricities. Everyone in Craftsbury considered Rose peculiar, everyone except Ethan, who never raised an eyebrow when her spice cakes came out, chocolate, when all the dogs in the neighborhood took to howling that time that she burned her finger on hot caramel. Ask Ted to cover for you, she said. He owes you for the shift you took last month, even if I wanted to. It's not enough notice. I have to be at the station by six. He caressed her cheek. Am I doing something wrong? No. Why, said Rose, because we're not having sex, and all you can think about is how I'm going to die. He pressed a kiss to her neck. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. And even if something crazy were to come up, death himself couldn't stop me from getting back to you. Rose covered her face with both hands and asked him not to joke like that. Unable to find her lips, Ethan kissed the back of her hands. He reached between her thighs and stroked her clit, crackling her resolve wide open like a book he'd read backwards and forward, but never tired of. I promise, he guided her hands from her face, pinning her wrist to the sheet. It wouldn't be the first time she'd levitated during sex that he would come back to her. They moved together like two kids on a swing set, racing to see who would fly high enough and jump first. Pleasure simmered in the cauldron of Rose's pelvis, tangy and dark as molasses, and when she came, she came in swallows, her inner muscles gulping like a throat. If you don't come back, her voice shook, I'll never leave this house again. Ethan cursed, his arms taut from holding himself above her. Rosie! Nothing is. I mean it. She wrapped her legs around him, feet crossed at the ankles. Take good care of yourself. Take no unnecessary risks. He touched her lips to hers and whispered. She was so fucking beautiful. And then he swallowed her response. 
Rose Abbott's grandmother always said a spoon knocked off a table was a sign of trouble. That afternoon, the bottom of the utensil drawer gave out. Later, when she stood on the porch to wave goodbye to the man she loved, she noticed all the leaves in the ancient oak had browned and fallen unusual, given that it was barely June. All evening, Rose ignored the omens, the cats throwing up their dinner, doors sticking in their jams, dead flies littering the windowsills and the dead like the prickle at the back of your throat before the flu takes hold. Rosie sensed the incoming long call before she heard it. For all the not-so-subtle signs, the news might as well have flown in from nowhere, for how unprepared she was. Ethan had been killed sometime after midnight in a hit-and-run. His funeral was held next door at his mother's house a week later. The whole of Craftsbury was in attendance. Rose endured the smiles and the sympathies of far cries from the abuses they used to hurl at her in school, which they would call after her. It's true that Rose's grandmother had been a healer of sorts. She taught Rose all about tending a garden and brewing teas that could cure a common cold in a matter of hours. But apart from the strangeness that trailed Rose like a stray cat, she never thought of herself as magical. Rather than stay with Ethan's family after the funeral, Rose retreated to the emptiness of her own house. She didn't come out the next day, or the day after. As the weeks passed, the whole town began to wonder if she would ever leave home. On the 4th of July, Rose dreamt that she was buried beneath a pile of glittering fluff inside a snow globe. It filled her ears and mouth with the caverns of her nose. That night... In the town of Craftsbury, it began to snow. All summer, children spent their days building snow forts instead of sandcastles, ice skating down at the local pool, leaf buds encased in ice, armed the trees like cactus needles, and residents with snow plows made more money that summer than any winter before. In all that time, not once did Rose Abbott leave her house. On rare nights when she woke, flushed and aroused, her skin burning with the memory of Ethan's fingerprints, she would try and touch herself. But the memory, the momentary contact of Rush, could find no release. It was as though her capacity for pleasure had gone dormant along with her ability to feel anything but grief. If it weren't for Rose's mother-in-law coming by twice a week to drop off food and toilet paper, she wouldn't have seen another soul. What have you eaten today, Rose? She would ask from the living room curtains. Though it was overcast, Rose still squinted against the light. I thought maybe you should come over tonight and have some dinner. Help me hand out candy. Though I'm not sure how many trick-or-treaters we will get with all the snow. Hand out candy? Rose counted the weeks on her fingers. <clears throat> Four months had passed in what felt like a fortnight. It was already Halloween, which meant that also Samhain, the Gaelic holiday marking the end of the harvest and the start of the winter. It was a night when the boundaries between the worlds became hazy and easier to cross, if you believed in that sort of thing, as her grandmother had. Rose nestled in the couch. Thanks, Lenore, but I think I'll have to sit this one out. Ethan's mother patted her shoulder. Ethan wouldn't want you to live like this, Rose. Then he shouldn't have left me to die alone, she thought. The words on Rose's tongue were sharp as glass. It cut her throat to swallow them. Lenore sighed and left the room, returning a moment later with a wooden box. I thought you might like to have some ashes here with you. 
She set the box on the coffee table and then swept a lock of coffee-colored hair from Rose's face. Think about coming over. Your cats miss you. We all do. Rose certainly missed her cats. Lenore had graciously offered to look after them when it became clear Rose didn't have the energy to keep herself clean, let alone three litter boxes. But Rose couldn't bear the thought of sitting across from Ethan's sisters, both of whom had been vocal. In their suspicion, Ethan might be alive today. They had not checked up with the town witch. Alone again, Rose drew up the box of Ethan's ashes into her lap. It was a simple dark wood box with a bronze latch, not heavy, but substantial enough that it couldn't pretend it wasn't there. Unable to reconcile how a man who had been larger than life could have been made to fit inside such a small vessel, she began to look inside for a place to set the box down. First, she tried the mantle, but that didn't feel right. Then, Ethan's trophy case but that wouldn't do either. Cradling the box, Rose wandered around the house, making streaks in the dust on the furniture with her fingers. She skimmed her hands over Ethan's clothes and their shared bookshelves until a spark like a carpet shock zapped her as she touched one particular volume. Her grandmother's grimoire. A heavy tome bursting at its covers with spells and recipes for all manners of ills. She pulled it from the shelf. Setting the box on the big oak desk, Rose leafed through the well-worn pages until she found one she had unknowingly been looking for, a spell to summon a spirit to you. The instructions, scrawled in her grandmother's looping hand, said the bundle five sprigs of thyme, twelve strands of the deceased hair, and one other personal item into a small pouch to be worn round the neck of the caster from noon until the sun went down. Rose glanced at the clock. It was already half past eleven. Acting quickly, she fetched her husband's hairbrush from the, bra- from the brushroom cabinet and the other items she reckoned it couldn't get more personal than one's own ashes. For the pouch, she scrabbled together a small drawstring pocket tied with a leather cord. Then she hurried downstairs to the attached greenhouse, praying the cold outside hadn't weaseled in enough of the strangled herbs. In the kitchen, she got to work threading thymes, thyme springs in Ethan's honey-blonde hair. Careful not to tear the stretches, she eased the bundle into the drawstring pocket. The ashes dusted her fingers as she gathered up a handful, careful not to spill. She sprinkled the sandy remains into the pocket. With the charm around her neck, Rose parked herself in Ethan's favorite reading chair and waited, and waited, all afternoon. As the last of the sun's rays disappeared behind the garden's fence, so too did Rose's optimism. What had she expected? A phone call from the great beyond? She wasn't enough of a sucker to believe in heaven, though she'd been fool enough to think that strangeness could actually be useful for once. Ethan wasn't coming back. That should have been obvious. Taking the pouch from her neck, Rose marched through the living room and threw open the French doors. Cold air pricked in parts of the non shielded by her nightgown. With a howling snarl, she hurled the pouch out into the snow. Rose slammed the door and then slid to the floor, curling up upon herself like a dying spider. Having sobbed herself to sleep, she didn't notice the breeze on her skin or the strong arms that carried her up to bed like a child. It wasn't until she woke 
squinting into the darkness of her bedroom, confused and disoriented, that she sensed the heat against her back and an arm around her midriff. Ethan? Lips brushed the nape of her neck. Fear seized like burnt chocolate in the stomach and hope ballooned in her chest. Sliding her hand under her cover, Rose traced the length of her arm across her belly until she found fingers. Say something, she whispered. The hand on her hummock slid to her breast and she shivered. If it wasn't Ethan, there can only be a stranger. Had she forgotten to lock the doors after she'd thrown the pouch into the snow? She couldn't remember. Bracing for the fight of her life, Rose balled her fists and turned to confront her silent bedmate. Moonlit spilled over the other half of the bed. It was empty. The spell had worked. Wait, she pawed at the sheets but found no trace. Come back, come back, I'm here. She had dreamt the feel of his hands and lips, or worse, lost her only chance to reunite with her husband. No, he was still around. She just needed a way to make contact. Rose ran to the kitchen for a shot glass and a marker. Back in the bedroom, she folded up a threadbare rug to reveal a strip of hardwood, which was sprawling an ancient, arching alphabet, plus the words yes and no. She laid the upturned glass on the floor and placed her finger on the top. Ethan, are you still here? Nothing happened. Not for a good long while. Though the air around her felt charged and leaden, as if she pushed an invisible hand, the shot glass slid to the floor, to yes. Rose stared in amazement, and the glass spelled out, Hello, Rosie. Tears clouded her eyes. It was Hem, her husband, come back to her. Hi, baby, her voice trembled. I've missed you, Sue. I've missed you, too. A warm gust tousled Rosie's hair. So beautiful. She laughed at the first time in months. Yeah, well, if I'd known I was going to be conjuring you tonight, I would have showered this morning. Still beautiful. Thanks, Rosie smiled, guiding the shot glass back to neutral. How the hell is this even possible? Don't know. Don't care. You know what? Me neither. Rosie couldn't see her husband, but she could feel him and talk to him, and compared to the pain of losing him, that was enough. I want you to touch me again, baby. Can you do that? Turn off the light. Rose switched off the lamp and then spread out on the bed and closed her eyes. Her heart pounded like horse hooves. Another draft swept across her skin, and the air began to feel weighted, warm, and solid, until the distinct impression of a hand manifested on her cheek. I feel you, she exclaimed. Holy shit, I can feel you. And Ethan caressed her face and neck, coming to rest above her heart. Rose arched her back. Keep going, she implored. Fingers hooked into the front of her nightdress, drawing the straps down her shoulders. Rose reached out, expecting to find nothing but air, and gasped when she encountered skin. Ethan kissed her jaw and cupped her exposed breasts. God, I've missed this. You have no idea how... And Ethan's mouth closed over hers as if to say, Yes, I fucking do. She choked back whispers as he pinched and strummed her nipples, her own hands tentatively exploring him. He felt so alive for Ethan, her husband in the flesh, more or less. She broke their kiss to turn his face, tracing the lines of his jaw and points of his cheekbone 
He wedged his body against her legs so that she could push against hers. He was naked, gloriously so, and very excited to see her. Oh, thank God she rounded her palm over the head of his cock. I was hoping you could still do that. Rose peeled away from her nightgown, and she could lie skin to skin. She wanted to feel him everywhere, taste every part of him, touch him in all the places she hadn't been able to silence since he passed. It was overwhelming her need for him. She didn't know where to start, as if sensing this, Ethan grasped her wrists and placed her hands on his chest so she could map him, kiss his nipples, and taste the salt of his sweat. Easing down his body, Rose took her time massaging his inner thighs before licking his shaft. She wrapped her mouth around him. Ethan's hands came down to cradle her head. He tasted the same, just as good as she remembered. She sucked until her jaw ached, until Ethan's fingers tightened in her hair. She missed his verbal cues, how he called her honey just before he came. There was no semen, no salty gush at the back of her throat, but she knew the shudder that rocked his body meant he finished. Rose crawled up Ethan's body to place a kiss on his waiting lips, just as his hand found its way between her legs. He spread her dipped two fingers into her wetness, and then proceeded to palpate her clitoris, in a press-and-release motion rather than a rub, just how she liked it. Rosie moaned as Ethan's tongue swirled around her nipples. His fingers continued to work the magic down below. She felt her orgasm rush through her body like floodwater, filling his cracks and crevices and spilling out into her mouth. Car alarms sounded across the three blocks as Rose twitched and trembled. Ethan was still hard against her thighs as she urged him to thrust inside her with her new inner muscles pulsed. The headboard groaned as though Ethan were gripping it to brace himself above her. More than anything, Rose wanted to open her eyes and see her handsome husband's expression as he moved inside her, but she feared losing him altogether if she got the chance like when she turned earlier to find nothing but moonlight in an empty bed. She supposed that Ethan was like Schrodinger's clock, not there, but there at the same time, until she reached for him. Another orgasm sliced through Rose's pelvis and threatened to tear her apart. Ethan held her together, his love-like gravity looping her into orbit, keeping her from flying off into thousands of different directions. She couldn't tell whether he, too, had finished, since he seemed capable of fucking her forever. But as soon as she went limp, he pulled out and pulled her close. As Rosie succumbed to the inevitable pull of sleep, Ethan kissed her from top to bottom of her head to the soles of her feet. She woke to the next morning, afraid that the previous night had been a dream, until she saw the letters on the hardwood. Ethan, she called. A gentle draft responded, making her nipples tighten. She dropped under the sheets and grinned. Good morning, baby, she said. After a long shower and a big breakfast, Rose parked herself in Ethan's reading chair and spent the next two hours playing with herself. Knowing he could see her made it feel like a joint effort. She wanted to see if she could manifest in the daytime so long as she kept her eyes shut. He couldn't. But by the time night fell, Ethan was so wound up that he had to have her where she stood this time on all fours in the dining room. The next night, Rose tied a scarf over her eyes and let Ethan lead her around the house. He ate her out for hours on the kitchen table, fucked her from behind all the way up the stairs. He made her come so hard and often she was sure she would implode, and she relished every aching second.
What's it like where you were, Rose asked when they lay together in the dark, always in the dark. They'd worked out a simple communication scheme where he traced messages on his skin. No pain, no words, no walls. When Ethan's mother came to visit the following week, she remarked that something felt different. You're certainly looking more like yourself. I felt a lot more like myself, Rose responded. As the mother-in-law turned to leave, Rose felt Ethan's yearning to keep her there a bit longer, so she invited her to stay for tea so that Ethan might spend some time around his mother. There was no denying that Rose was doing better. She had her husband back, so to speak, and she'd gotten used to sleeping in the afternoon. She asked Lenore to bring the cats back and started making early morning trips to the market. Now and then, she even picked up the phone. But as the weeks passed, Rose sensed a growing relentlessness. She could feel Ethan's frustration like a rock in her, show, in her shoe. His desire to be seen and listened to, he grew jealous when she left the house for more than five minutes and couldn't stand being spoken about in the third person. When his mother came around, he removed himself to other areas of the house and was growing less and less patient with their limited means of communication. Wait, slow down. Rose chided one night when his messages on the spirit board were coming out muddled. The glass skated along the alphabet faster than Rose could read, and the few letters were caught weren't, spilling, weren't spelling much of anything. Ethan, I can't understand what you're saying. Rose, the shot glasses flew from Rose's hand and shattered against the wall just as the full-length mirror splintered into a vein like a fissure, cutting her reflection in two. Panes of glass cracked inside the picture frames, light bulbs shorted burst. Glittering flecks of carpeting the floor like frost and moonlight, and Rose hugged to her knees to her chest, afraid to take a step in any direction lest she cut her feet. She shuddered at the swipe of her finger across her shoulder blade. It spelled out the word so sorry down her back. She asked why he did that. Didn't mean to. He petted her hair and kissed the back of her head. You could have hurt me. She held her face in her hands as she cried. Rose refrained from speaking to Ethan for three days after the incident, though she could smell him as he drifted through the house, the stench of sulfur and dead flowers, shame and regret. Come December, they were barely conversing at all, squinting in the stark light of the day of her kitchen table. Rose found herself once again missing her husband, not the ghostly presence in her house, but the man she remembered him, quick to laugh, eager to help, always bursting with things to talk about. It was the same longing that had pushed her to call Ethan back in the first place. Now he was here, part of him anyway. But at what cost? Coming to her like a phantom in the night and pushing her rubber balls to amuse him and the cats could hardly be considered living. It was barely existing. What kind of wife was she meant to be for her husband, not the wife he'd married? And certainly, not the friend who'd made sure he didn't fall behind the school year. His father died, and Ethan could barely muster the strength to get out of bed. Months ago, Rose would have done anything for her husband back, but although the presence in her home felt like Ethan and kissed like Ethan, it wasn't him, not all of him. And if keeping a part of him meant condemning her larger-than-life husband to a half-life without laughter with a stretch of the open road, then Rose wasn't half the wife she thought she was. That night, Rose made love to her husband for the last time, in the shower, with the lights off, 
Using Rose's loofah, they took turns soaping one another, enjoying the feel of their slippery bodies pressed against each other. Ethan held the shower massager to Rose's clit and moved inside her from behind. She had to brace herself against the tile, her open mouth and brimming with water as she came. Afterwards, they clung to each other's back. Ethan spelled out messages on Rose's back. I can stay. Tears burned in her eyes. No, baby, you can't. It's time. Don't want to leave you. And I don't want you to go either, but you have to. Why? Oh, goodness, this is really hitting me in. Her heart cracked like an egg in her chest because you have a big heart and an even bigger spirit and you don't deserve to spend another minute trapped in a life that's too small for you. Neither do you, Ethan kissed her with the hunger of a man savoring his final meal. Promise. Promise what? He, smoothed her, he smothered her hair and kissed her forehead. That you will live for both of us. She buried her face in the crook of his neck, and in the end, Ethan had kept his promise. He'd come back to her. It was time for Rose to return the favor. I promise, she said. I will. Just before sunrise, Rose took the satchel of birch bark, sage, and pine needles out to the front garden. Years ago, when they were children, Ethan would spy on her through the fence, too scared to enter as she munched rhubarb and planted garlic with her grandmother. As they grew older, Rose had to picture Ethan standing out the gate for him to feel the sudden urge to go out and wait there, dressed in his coat and pajamas. Rose had a hunch he would wait for her forever, if he had to. She dug a small bowl in the snow in the front yard from the ancient oak, into which she laid the birch bark, sage, and pine needles. With a long stem lighter, she set a fire to the dry materials. A soft breeze whirled around her, rustling her cloak. I'll see you on the other side, my love. Take care of yourself. Rose watched the flames eat through the pine needles, leaves, and bark. As the fragrant smoke drifted up from the garden, so ascended Ethan, past the broken gunners and the bedroom window, between the branches of the ancient oak whose copper leaves burned like embers with the sunrise as Rose Abbott bid farewell to her husband's ghost. <clears throat> Haunted Hearts, A Ghost Story by Rachel Woe All right, guys, that is the tip show. Thank you all very, very, very much for being a part of my life, uh, for helping me out, for listening to long, sexy, slutty ghost stories. Uh, all of it, really. I'm a lucky man. I'm an honored man. I had a great time tonight. I hope you guys did too. Uh, for everybody who came out live, you got pretty much three hours of me. I think a pretty, I think over two hours for the recording too. So that ain't bad. Uh, just know that I appreciate you all very, very much again. Uh, Aaron, great show, sounding more and more sexy. It makes me smile to hear you uh, that you're happy in your new place. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate it and you. Uh, so glad that you're back. It's so good to hear you so happy. Thank you, Alice. Amy, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate all of you, everybody who tipped, everybody who came out, everybody who made requests. Let's get more requests in next week. Uh, what I'm looking at doing, 
for the rest of this month is uh, another tip show on the 15th of December. I apologize, November. Uh, go ahead and do... Uh, yeah, going to go ahead and do the patron show on the 22nd, Friday the 22nd. And then I feel like everybody will be back enough or ready enough uh, on the 30th, Saturday the 30th. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do an afternoon matinee show uh, on uh, September or, or, or November the 30th, uh, that Saturday afternoon. And there will be a gaming stream every Saturday, including uh, tomorrow, mm, every Saturday. Yeah, every Saturday this month, there's going to be one, 9th, 16th, 23, and 30th. Okay, so that's the schedule for live stuff. We're here. Uh, we're all back to it. First scary game is going to be the Moons of Madness. Not the Mountains of Madness. The Moons of Madness. Because it's like the Mountains of Madness, but set in outer space. Oh, my goodness. Uh, very Cthulian. All right, guys. So thank you very, very much for everything. appreciate you guys. That's the end of the show. What are you doing? Get out of here. If you are coming to a live show, keep in mind that we do music in the Music Lounge. Uh, we love for you guys to put in your tunes. It's kind of like karaoke, except nobody sings. Uh, bliss for, for all of you that I don't. Uh, so please come on out to the Music Lounge after a live show. We would love to have you. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I know that I sit there and relax with the rest of you. Okay, guys, that is it for me. I'm out of here. This is the end of the recording. It's the end of the live show. Hopefully you come out some other time. I had a great time. Hopefully you do think I sound as good as I think I sound. Uh, fingers crossed at least. All right, guys, I'm going to go now. Bye. Bye.